1: Com. As always, I will give you the highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items from this past week, as well as discuss my events of the week that I attended. In a half hour, we will be joined by our weekly call-in expert, Barry Rubenstein of the New York Post. Well, my highlight of the week was the Boston Celtics' gut-check win on Tuesday night down in Atlanta without Ray John Rondo, who was suspended for that game, and Ray Allen, who who was injured? Again, it uh, was an all time gut check win in the storied history of the Boston Celtics. They desperately needed this game to go down 2 0 and then have to win four of the next five would have been a huge issue. And so it was just uh, amazing to watch them come out, uh, especially in the fourth quarter. They were down 11 points in Atlanta late in the third quarter, and then they just went into their uh, lockdown defense, which only they can play, and uh, it was just amazing to watch. It was defense that won the game. It was also combined with Paul Pierce's transcendent playoff game, one of the all-time great individual efforts in Boston Celtic playoff history, 36 points, 14 rebounds. And he basically just took over the game and punctuated his performance with a uh, by t-bowing that came out of uh, nowhere. Even he said after the game he wasn't sure exactly what came over him to cause him to do it, but he did do it. And uh, I loved it. I thought it was a pretty nice touch. So, again, just uh, great win for the Celtics and uh, tied one-one. Coming back to Boston and. We're going to have more on the Celtics, uh, whose practice I attended yesterday, uh, in just a few more minutes here. Next, let's go to the low light of the week, which unfortunately is the death of Junior Seau, uh, first ballot Hall of Famer, all-time NFL great, and just such a tragic tragic situation, Uh, can hardly even put it into words, I won't soon, if ever, forget uh, his mother at the microphone uh, that day, uh, which was earlier this week, and uh, again, just so, so sad, Uh, obviously he'll always be a San Diego Charger, that's where he carved out his Hall of Fame career, but he also played here in New England, 20 minutes from my house at Gillette Stadium, where he was part of the 16-0 regular season undefeated team. And Coach Bill Belichick absolutely loved him and, in effect, brought him out of retirement. And after the Chargers, he went to the Dolphins for three fairly nondescript seasons, then retired. Belichick brought him out of retirement, where, and he came to the Patriots for three seasons where he played uh, pretty well, better than he did in Miami. And he was instantly and quickly embraced by fans. And, you know, it's funny the, mem- the things you remember. My all time memory of Seau up here in New England was uh, when he broke his arm in a playoff game. It literally happened right in front of me. You could hear it, you could see it, and he just basically just got up and walked right off the field. And I just never forgot it. Uh, so, again, It's just a a horrible, horrible situation. Uh, Hoping some good can come out of it. There's breaking news here in Boston this morning and nationwide coming out of uh, San Diego that his family has decided to donate his brain to Boston University and their concussion studies, unit of which I'm very familiar they're based up here in Boston obviously and uh, Chris Nowinski heading that up and uh, Junior Seau is you know such a big name a household name that uh, I'm hoping that this will trigger and force change that will somehow some way start to uh, diminish the number of incidents recur you know, occurring with concussions with uh, not only former NFL players, but NHL players and beyond. And this, again, his name is just so big that this may be uh, the incident that finally forces real, real change in this area. And let's hope that it does. And my bizarre story of the week is Yankee's legendary closer, Mariano Rivera. Injuring his knee, tearing his ACL uh, yesterday while shagging fly balls out in the outfield. Something he did before basically every game for during his 18-year career. Uh, it sounds like his career might be over. Uh, seeing Rivera crying in front of the microphones. Seeing the reaction of his teammates, specifically Derek Jeter and A-Rod. Uh, about as bad as it gets, needless to say, and uh, so it's just a shame. Uh, I'm up here in Red Sox land, and everybody knows about the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry, but uh, anybody who doesn't respect uh, Mariano Rivera uh, is not a true baseball fan in my book, and again, relating it to a personal memory, uh, I was there on opening day in 2005 at Fenway Park. The Yankees were in town, and... That was the day of course that they distributed the rings for the 2004 Red Sox team that had broke the curse after 86 years uh, courtesy in many ways of Mariano Rivera who uh, gave up some of the rallies that allowed the Red Sox to come back from the famous 3-0 deficit uh, in the 2004 ALCS and uh, And then go on to make history by beating the Cardinals. So Rivera that day, he was smiling uh, on opening day 2005, uh, waving to the fans. Uh, It was just really a, a true moment. And Rivera just strikes me as one of the more affable and likable players of all time. And one of the greatest players of all time. How ironic that this would happen to number 42. He is the only player in the major leagues who wears number 42, Jackie Robinson's number, of course. And this has happened to him at age 42. So doesn't look good, but hopefully, uh, hopefully he can somehow continue. But for now, his season and perhaps his career appears over. And now on to one of the uh, two events that I attended this week, which were uh, – the Celtics practice yesterday, going back to the big win in Atlanta on Tuesday night. Uh, it was an upbeat practice, needless to say. And the big question uh, was will Ray Allen return from injury to play tonight? And let's hear Ray Allen uh, talk about it right from the horse's mouth. Regular season, I definitely uh, went through uh, a lot of up and downs uh, from you know,
2: excitement, knowing that I was, you know, in a good place to, you know, frustrate frustration. Um, It's, you want to be there to help the team, you know, my guys are looking at me saying, you know, he's close, and um, when you know you you can't play, you almost feel like you're letting the team down because they they need you out there on the floor, so it's, you know, it's been a range of emotions, but um, emotionally, you just try to stick to it, it's like, I want to be here for the team, but then sometimes I have to be away because it's better for me to do what I need to do so I can get my, you know, get healthier so I can get back to join the team. So um, injuries are tough, and we all deal with them. But, you know, I, I
1: like the way I feel right now. I'm in a good place, so, you know, I'm optimistic. And Ray is talking about being optimistic and playing in tonight's Game 3 at the Boston Garden at 7.30 Eastern Time. And that is good news for all Celtic fans to hear uh... Rajon rondo will also be playing tonight he's got a lot to prove after his suspension for game two he also spoke with the media yesterday and uh... but you know referring back to game two uh... as i mentioned earlier paul pierce had an absolutely transcendent game and here's celtics coach doc rivers talking about paul pierce
2: yes because um, you didn't see how good he was now, uh, I told Paul that I was always upset after he had a good game against us because I'm looking at this guy that doesn't look like he's in great shape, uh, doesn't look athletic, uh, looks slow as molasses, and he just had 30 on us. I I told him there's many times that I've blown up a whole locker room over Paul Pierce because I'm like, how oh, do you let this guy beat you? And then yeah. we get close to him. him. You see, he is athletic as heck. He is deceptive. Uh, and he's a professional scorer, so uh, I wish I had understood that some of the uh, guys I yelled at, I should go and apologize to, because uh, Paul's pretty good, and That's you learn that.
3: And, now he's in-
1: and, you know, interesting comments from Doc Rivers, because as a longtime Celtic watcher, I've also felt like the same way about watching Pierce, just, you know, when you first see him or whatever, uh, you just don't think he's going to be the athlete that, indeed, he turns out to be on the court. He's generally unstoppable. There's no other way to say it. And uh, looking ahead, Doc Rivers had this to say about uh, another key player in the series, Kevin Garnett. Yeah, I mean,
0: you know, his jumper.
2: His jumper you, you think th- it's going to come? Yeah, his is going to come. Bad. I'm not worried about right. that. But we got to establish him more. We got to get him. Uh, we got to get bodies off of him. They're, they're bumping him around and knocking him around, and uh, we got to do a better job as a staff. We got to do a better job of trying to get bodies off of him and giving them some room. Uh, and our spacing is horrendous uh, for him. You know, clearly with uh, Ray, they're using both guards to just sit in the paint, um, and we have to do a better job of creating space. It's tough when you have two guards that they're just not guarding. Uh, and that makes it difficult on Kevin. It reminds me with Perk and Rondo early on. It was a big and a, a guard. Now it's two guards who are quick and they can go and jab at the ball. So we got to figure out something uh, because we
1: got to get something down low. Well, interesting comments from Doc Rivers. I mean, Garnett really hasn't gotten going in this series yet. And if he does, watch out. Uh, Celtics showed on Tuesday night there is no quit in this team. And Garnett is a big reason for that. He is the heart and soul of this team. Make no mistake about it. And all of a sudden, you know, you have to look and say, uh, you have to like the Celtics in this series, next two games at home. And their next opponent's going to be either the Bulls or the Sixers. Uh, You have to like the Celtics in that one going forward. And then that would lead to them facing potentially the Miami Heat in what would just simply be an epic playoff game. Uh, Series playoff series and uh, that's the one everybody wants to see and who knows they get by them and the Celtics are clearly capable of beating the heat. They've done it fairly consistently. Who knows maybe we'll uh, even dream and think about another Celtics Lakers finals if the uh, Lakers keep on playing as well as they have. So now, as my former co-host, LeMont Williams, from outside the huddle likes to say, it's time to pay some bills, so let's take our break, and next we'll get stick with some more basketball and the Connecticut Sun Media Day.
0: Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports.
4: Sports have become a big part of everyone's lives today. We all have that team that we live and breathe to follow. We watch hours of football on TV, play Madden sports on our gaming system, and our wives can't seem to tear us from the couch. If this sounds like you, or if you're a football wife who wants a few words... We want to hear from you. Listen for Life, Love, and Sports featuring your host, Ron Dixon. Ron takes you inside the world of sports and finds out what you, the fan, are talking about today. Listen Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Sports.
0: Back to the show.
1: Voice America, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. This is your host, John Inglesby. And to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144. Or you can email me at iir at net. Well, big week for events. And on Tuesday of this week, I attended Connecticut Sun Media Day. The Connecticut Sun are members of the... WNBA, Women's National Basketball Association, and they play at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut. And uh, we spoke with Coach Mike Thibault and various players during media day. And let's start off with uh, Coach Mike Thibault and his championship expectations for this year.
5: You start, you want to win a championship. Everybody wants to. But then there's, you know, there's a little bit of reality about you know, how far along you are in your development. Uh, we knew we were going through some growing pains the last couple of years, you know, mm-hmm. making the trade that we did, you know, bringing in young players, um, blending in a couple of veterans who at the time when they were being blended in, Kara and Asia, weren't healthy. Um, with about halfway through last season, we got to that point where we knew we were healthier and could do the things we were capable of. And they were... Not happy losing that playoff series. They knew they could have won it. You know, you had the lead in the fourth quarter in both games, and ironically, it was our offense that let us down more than our defense uh, in the playoffs. Uh, their expectation and my expectation is to compete for a championship. Um, you know what that means as far as a regular season record. I'm not sure uh, because basically what we told ourselves at the start of training camp is that we are going to play for that particular day. We're not going to look down the road. Uh, We're going to try to walk out of the gym every day a little bit better than we were when we walked in the gym. And I think if you focus on that more than other stuff, you end up becoming a better team just through the process. And uh, that's the goal right now is is to get better every day.
1: And the playoff loss that uh, Coach Tebow was referring to was the first round early exit to the Atlanta Dream last year where they were swept and veteran son forward Aisha Jones had this to play about how that playoff exit will be a strong motivating factor for this year's team.
6: <clears throat> it will be the most motivating factor. Um, we had a great regular season and you know anytime you have a really good regular season you're expecting to do that in the, same in the playoffs and at the end of those games, or in those games, we didn't make shots we normally made all year. And that was difficult for us. Uh, you know, we played pretty good defense. You know, we, you know, I think we hurt ourselves a lot. And knowing that, you know, it's just like, ah, uh, a missed opportunity. And those hurt you.
1: And one of the interesting things about this year's Connecticut Sun team is that two members have been chosen to play on the U.S. Olympic team. The 12th and final member was Aisha Jones, who we just heard. And here's what Aisha had to say about her selection to the Olympic team.
6: I don't really work like that. Um, I went, I tried, If I didn't make it, I and mean, then I didn't make it, but um, at least I tried. I uh, played hard for them, I gave them my time, my energy. And at the end, you know, it's a great team. It's full of great players in our country. So if I don't make tw- the best of 12, okay, I can't dwell on that too long. But I, I tried, and I was around. I played with them. I did world championships. I've been a part of it. And in the end, that's- that had to been good enough. But now that I'm on the team, I don't have to worry about that.
1: <laughs> and it was a very interesting selection by Coach Gino Ariyama in that uh, many people thought he was holding that 12th spot for uh, Baylor's Brittany Greiner. Uh, however, it went to Aisha Jones of the Connecticut Sun, and the other member of the Connecticut Sun that will be on the uh, U.S. Olympic women's basketball team is another UConn product, like Asha Jones. Tina Charles, both playing for their uh, former college coach Gina Ariama, and here's what Tina Charles had to say about the uh, Olympics.
6: As a mature, you know, you know where to put your priorities, and right now my priority is on the Connecticut Sun. And just practices and how we can get better individually because when individually gets better, a team gets better. So I think all of us are you know just trying to get our role down packed so we can have a great impact to this team. And you know when July rolls around, then my focus will be on the Olympics and what Coach Oyama expects out of me on my role on that team. And then when August comes back, my focus is back on Connecticut Sun. Are you
1: worried? That- and I also had an interesting conversation with Stephanie Murphy. She is uh, in her second. Connecticut Sun training camp. She went to training camp last year, did not make the team, and then traveled and played in Hungary, the country of Hungary. And uh, now she's been invited back for a a second shot. And Stephanie is the second all-time rebounder at Boston College and the all-time leading scorer in New Hampshire girls' basketball history. And uh, this is just a good example of the paths that... uh, uh... many players both in the men's and women's game travel so here's stephanie murphy talking about uh... her career at bc as well as her time in hungary
7: um, carolyn swords who plays with the chicago sky um... so we were like the five four duo post players and uh... i think playing with her was a great experience for me because it made me more of a five during practice but during games and stuff i could become more of a four and Bring my defenders out further for the outside game, and I could also use them, uh, bring them down to the post and work on that game. So it was just kind of like a multifaceted kind of kind of career I had at BC, and it was just great experience. And playing in the ACC definitely uh, prepared me to play a high level game because I mean I haven't been able to follow it that much this year being in Europe, but when I was there, it was it was very competitive. And we always ended up in the middle of the middle of the pack but we had some great wins against Duke. We beat every team in the ACC which was definitely a big accomplishment for my class. Well, During the four years that good, I was yeah. there we beat Duke, UNC. We actually beat Duke and then a week later beat UNC. Which two
1: was, teammates from UNC. I
7: know, and I played against them both. <laughs>
1: I'm sure you did. Yeah. Underneath. Yes. You're right, you're all post players. Mm-hmm. Um, What did you think about
5: the BC coach retiring? It was a bit of a shocker.
7: Um, It was a bit of a shock. I really don't know what went on with the coaching staff this year, but I just know that um, during the three years that she was my coach, we had had formed a good relationship, and it's sad to see her go. But the new coaching staff that is in right now, um, I... I respect so much I had them they actually recruited me to Boston College because they were my assistant coaches my freshman year of college so Eric Johnson Yvonne Hawkins were my assistant coaches to Kathy and Glace my freshman year and then Sylvia probably came in my sophomore year so I'm just I'm very happy for the BC team and the strides that they'll be able to take and I can't wait to go back and see them, because they moved all the way out to Colorado, and now they're coming back, and, right. we, and being my first year in college, we had formed quite a bond since sure. it was my first time away from home, and I'm just so happy for the girls that they get to experience what I experienced as well under Eric.
1: Now, what was it, uh, what was it like for you playing over in uh, Hungary?
7: It was very different. Was it? Um... It, it was It was definitely a new experience, considering I had only been an hour south from home, and now I'm six hours ahead, two plane rides, three hour taxi ride from the airport, and <laughs> that, that part was challenging, but I think that you know my, me and my family are very close, so Skype saved us a lot family wise and just basketball wise it was different playing the European game. As anyone will tell you, it's completely different. It's, a lot of fa- it's I think it's very fast. I can't say that I've experienced too much in the pro pro games, considering I only played training camp last year, but it is very fast. It's very, very physical. The refs let a lot of stuff go, but I think it the, the year I had it in Hungary helped me prepare to come back here to play, to try again to play with the Connecticut team.
1: So oh, did you play other teams in Hungary, or teams uh, yeah, other we, countries, we just, or both?
7: Um, we were not a EuroLeague team, so we just played um, teams in Hungary.
1: Okay. And uh, so how do you think that your experience in training camp last year, what would that have been about, a month or so? Um, well, I made or? it throughout
7: all of training camp, so however long it lasted. Two and a half, maybe three weeks.
1: Okay. Now, how do you think that experience will help you coming into this year and your second training camp?
7: Um, I definitely came in a little bit more comfortable It'll just be quick. with the people because it wasn't like I had to meet a whole new team and a whole new coaching staff. Um, I, I know what the coaches are expecting during training camp, and I know what, what training is going to be like. It's kind of like I'm a rookie, but I've been through this training camp before, so I'm more prepared physically and mentally for uh, what's to come in the next coming weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's obviously a veteran team, as evidenced by the first draft pick, mm-hmm. where, you know, they drafted somebody who they aren't bringing in this year, mm-hmm. and uh, which obviously sends the clear message that, you know, they're, they're pretty comfortable with what they got, so... Mm-hmm. sure for you it's a big challenge but
7: it's a good it's a big challenge but it's great experience and here for round two so i must have shown something last year that made me stick in their mind that they wanted me to come back and try again
1: well stephanie murphy uh very impressive young woman and like so many bc athletes uh such as chris venti The goaltender from Boston College's national championship hockey team that I had on a few weeks ago uh, here on the show. Very articulate and very polite, and just a pleasure to deal with. And uh, so the Connecticut Sun will open their season in just a couple of weeks, Uh, uh, May 18th, I believe. against New York Liberty and should be an interesting season. They have a lot to prove after last year's uh, disappointing postseason early exit, and uh, but they certainly seem like they're up for the task. And also just uh, left over from last week uh, where I broadcast live from New York City covering the NFL draft at Radio City Music Hall. Uh, I was there both Thursday and Friday night for round one Thursday night, rounds two and three on... Friday night, and uh, the overall highlight of the draft had to be simply uh, Alabama, national champion Alabama, and one of the more interesting things was uh, the presence of Nick Saban, the coach. He was on the stage, and then he also, uh, also came down to the media interview room, and here's what Nick had to say about Alabama's big night, where they had four players drafted in the first round. And then Courtney Upshaw drafted right at the top of
5: the second round. Yeah, we had two. Right. So you know, it's great. It's great to be able to say we had four guys last year—three offensive guys and a defensive guy—and this year, you know, hopefully we'll have five. You know, four of them are defensive players. One of them's an offensive player, and. Uh, you know, I think it's it's says a lot for the University of Alabama that we can attract those kind of players, and I think it says it a lot for our entire staff, all of our people who make up our team that help develop those guys to be all they can be. So I'm really proud of our staff, and I'm really proud of the players for making the commitment to do the things that they need to do. And uh, you know, we've got a pretty good history of developing players and helping guys be successful. So you know, hopefully, other people recognize.
1: That. Well, as many of you know, Nick Saban is part of the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Uh, he coached uh, with Belichick at Cleveland Browns in the late '90s, and I was—I had not interviewed Coach Saban until last week, and I was certainly struck by how similar he seems to uh, Bill Belichick, and. Uh, they, they, I'm sure there was uh, no small coincidence that the Patriots moved up in the draft to take Alabama linebacker Dante Hightower. I'm sure it came with a strong recommendation from uh, Coach Saban to Coach Belichick. Now, obviously, the number one pick in the NFL draft, no surprise, was Andrew Luck from Stanford. And very impressive guy and someone who clearly has a lot to prove, as he now describes.
2: You know, I think as a football player, I think what's great about it is you always have to prove yourself every Saturday or Sunday. That was my feeling in college that, you know you go out, it doesn't matter what you did last week, you you want to prove yourself, you know, every every week. So uh you know I, I don't know if you know in, in my mind it'll be because I was the number one pick, but I know, you know I have high expectations for myself and you know I'll try and go out there and prove myself every week.
1: And as you can tell, uh Andrew Luck uh indeed feels he has a lot to prove. He's stepping into the shoes of Peyton Manning. No small task and uh, that is going to be worth watching as will the play of RG3 Heisman Trophy winner Robert Griffin III from Baylor and here's what uh, RG3 had to say about his upcoming rookie year.
2: The question goes along with the question of um, you know the excitement by the fans. I think it is excitement. It's not just about uh, who's going to be playing quarterback? It's about uh, the team that they have in place already. So I don't look at it as any added pressure. If anything, it, uh, it makes me want to go out and get to work uh, even sooner. Um, they believe in me. That's why they gave so many picks up for me. Uh, and you know, there's been quarterbacks, uh, great quarterbacks that have had terrible rookie years. I don't want to be that guy. I'm going to make sure I do everything to make sure I'm not that guy. But, you know, Peyton Manning had a you know uh, not a great year as, as a rookie. And uh, he's now considered one of the best of all time. So you just got to work through the bumps and uh, try to succeed uh, in whatever ways you can.
1: RG3, maybe the most impressive uh, interview at the entire draft. Uh, You have to like this guy. He is just charismatic. Uh, After he was done speaking with the media, he spent a lot of time having his picture taken with Uh, the numerous members of the military that were in attendance at the draft and uh, i somehow agree with him that he is not going to be that guy who does not have a good rookie season i think he's going to burst on the scene and i hope he does he's very very likable to say the least so it's time for our break and joining me next will be our weekly call-in expert barry rubenstein of the new york post
0: internet
3: flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Ready for in-your-face sports? Want to talk about the topics that nobody else is willing to talk about? Either because they're too scared to touch them or just don't think it's the way to go you're not going to be shy here tune in to here's the deal with Mega and steel featuring ike mega griffin and sydney steel justice we've got the facts to back up the talk and invite you to join us every friday at 2 p.m pacific time 5 p.m eastern just before the weekend on the voice america sports channel we tell it like it is
4: the job of a professional athlete is never complete
1: voice america welcome back to segment three of all around sports and to join the show the call in number is 1-888-346-9144 or you can email me at iir at comcast.net and on the line now is our weekly call-in expert barry rubenstein of the new york post and barry uh a busy week as it always is this time of year but also a sad week in a number of ways and uh Knowing you work for the New York Post, uh, I want to ask you your opinion on Mariano Rivera's injury, which is just horrifying.
8: Yeah, I, I, horrifying, uh, shocking—you know, whatever, whatever adjectives you, what you want to put on it. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is something that you know Rivera did every night. I mean, you know, he—if there's one thing he's known for, well, there's several things he's known for. I mean, obviously, you know, besides being you know, the light out, you know, greatest closer to ever pitch in the game. He was also a um, a workout freak. And, you know, there's there's, 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 a lot of reasons why that at 42 years old, you know, he's still at the top of his game. And one of them is that he keeps himself in peak physical condition. And, you know, this was a a routine for him to be out in the outfield, you know, shagging fly balls. And, you know, one of the things you hear from people, you know, the typical knee-jerk reaction when sometimes this happens is, well, what's he doing out there? Why was he out there? Well, he did this every night. I mean, this is nothing out of the ordinary of things he normally did, but it was just a, a freak thing. And the amazing thing to me is that, you know, this is something he did all the time, but for, for, for some reason, there was actually video of it, which was, was mind-boggling to me, that they actually had video shooting Mario Rivera catching this, this fly ball during batting practice, coming down on his, on his uh, coming down badly, Awkwardly twisting his knee, falling to the, to the ground, and this little capture of video, even if Alex Rodriguez's reaction, you know, near the batting cage, like, "Oh my god, oh my god," uh, stunning, you know. Uh, but to have this kind of thing happen, yeah, I mean, it's um, it it's, it's a terrible injury, certainly, you know, for for uh, for, for Mariano for the Yankees, and you know, there was a lot of, of speculation this was going to be his final year anyway because. He, he was asked point blank in training camp, you know, are you gonna, you know, what are you thinking? Are gonna come back? And he didn't wanna, he said he had made up his mind, but he didn't want to announce it because he's, you know, despite the fact that he's such a, a great player and a great pitcher and a great ambassador of the game, great, you know, fill in the blank that he's been for his entire career, he did not want a big three tour. He did not want a farewell tour. He did not want, you know, stopping in every town and, award, because he's, he's not wired that way. He just didn't want to be part of that. He just figured, you know, when it's time for me to go, you'll know. Well, um, unfortunately, this, this, this may now be the time. You know, the question is, you know, do is he going to be willing to, or is he going to even want to, try to come back from a torn ACL to pitch again? You know, as I said, you know, there's there a lot of thoughts this is going to be it for him anyway. Um, can, could he come back? Yeah, he could, only because... He's in such great physical shape, and he's made a career out of doing this. Uh, I have just being a, a freak physical specimen, which, as we said, this is one of the reasons why he's been able to do it as long and as well as he has. Um, can he come back? Yeah. Will he want to? That's another question. And you know, I, I think we'll find out soon enough. You know, which way he's leaning. But you know, it, it, it's pretty stunning to think that you know, at this point, you know, uh, you know, from this point yesterday to this point today, you know. We're, if anybody thought, well, yeah, we may have seen Marion Rivera pitch for the last time yesterday. You know, What are you talking
1: about today? A very real possibility. Absolutely, Barry. And, you know, at minimum, he's always been old, reliable, and reliable is, uh, doesn't do his career justice. Uh, but he's just always been there for the past, uh, you know, decade plus. And it's just not going to be – it's like uh, almost – Hard to imagine the Yankees without Rivera coming in to close the game. It, it changes everything, not the least of which is, you know, their opportunity to make this year's postseason. Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to watch the Yankees in the coming weeks to see how they, uh, you know, recover from this. Uh, you know, to me, yeah. there's you know, there's no bigger blow that could have possibly occurred, even Jeter or A-Rod going out. I mean, this is just... Or Sabathia. This is just uh, the guy they could count on, night in, night out. Mister Automatic.
8: Yeah, I mean, you can, you can easily make the case that he's the most important guy in that team because you know, as you yes. said, and as as that's his reputation. You know, when he came onto the ninth inning, it was going to be lights out for the most part. I mean, think about this. Here's a couple. Here's a couple things to think about. In in, in the postseason, I believe these pitched uh, 141 postseason innings in his career. His ERA was I think 271. Something like that is era under under one for his entire postseason career. That that that's mind-boggling To that, be that consistent, to be able to put up those kind of numbers uh, in in the situation where you know where the microscope is 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 brightest and your you know, lights are brightest and you know you're you're on display for the whole world to see. Uh, and also, you, know, you, you think about Marion Rivera. How he's just you know, this guy has just been around for so long and been so consistent. Think about this too. I mean, you know, we know that uh that Major League Baseball has uh retired number forty two for Jackie Robinson. Marianne Rivera is the only guy left in the major leagues who still wears number forty two because he was grandfather of They had the role at that Anyone who wore that number at the time of uh of when of, of when that number was retired for, for Jackie Robinson could wear it. Well, Mo's the only guy left in the major league that still wears number forty two and once he leaves that's gonna be it. And the only time we're ever gonna see number forty two again is you know, when the, when Major League Baseball does a Samuel Jackie Robinson today and everybody wears it, but Bo will be the last last player to wear number 42 uh, in the game. So, you know, you talk about how long this guy has been around and how automatic he's been and how much he's been part, a part of, of of baseball, not only for the Yankees, but for, you know, for, for the Major League as well.
1: Well, no one more worthy to wear number 42, be the last player to wear number 42, than Rivera. And, you know, the other key thing to think of here is simply that, you know, Mariano changed the way the Yankees played baseball. In other words, for the Yankees for so many years, it really hasn't been a nine-inning game per se. They basically played for seven or eight innings, uh, get the lead, And then they would bring in Rivera and win the game. I mean, that was just their, you know, very, very successful pattern, to put it mildly. No other team played that way, probably ever in the history of baseball, because nobody else ever had a closer that was so automatic. And again, it's just going to be hard to imagine. You know, another irony, of course, is that he is now age 42, of all things. So if this is the end of his career, he will indeed have ended at age 42 to boot. So a number of ironies there, to say the least. Uh, So we shall see. Uh, Again, you know, to watch Rivera crying in the clubhouse, to see, you know, literally the shocked reaction of his teammates was, uh, you know, not the least of which was A-Rod, Jeter, manager Joe Girardi. Everybody was in shock, needless to say. Plus, to watch their reactions, uh, you know, on the field as they saw Rivera crash into the wall, that was something you don't see every day. Going back to your first point about the fact that it was even on video.
8: Yeah, I mean that was surprising enough, but yeah, the reactions, you know, when you and and to see reactions like that, to see you know Mariano Rivera, you know, who's always been the you know when you think think about when you think about the Yankees, well, one of the things that really, that really you think about. Think about the stoicism of this team. You think about a guy like Derek Jeter, a guy like A Rod, a guy like um, a guy like Rivera. I mean, they're so stoic, they're so professional. They go out and get the job done. And to see, you know, to see them that emotional, you know, that that tells you how important this, this, and how, how pivotal this uh, this guy is to them. And then you know, understandably so. Um, you know, uh, another thing too is interesting. I was listening to sports radio. Uh, a little while ago and they were talking about a debate, you know, and it's a fair debate, you know, if you, if you want to, if, if you're putting up the Yankees Mount Rushmore, okay, four guys in the history of the New York Yankees, who you going to put up there? You know, you, you, you could make a case that Mariano Rivera deserves a spot up there. Um, you know, you could, you could, you could argue long and hard about, you know, maybe, maybe two of the four, you know, certainly, certainly, certainly Dave Ruth. Probably Luke Gehrig, probably Joe DiMaggio, although there's a lot of other guys that would deserve at least to be part of that conversation. And I think Mariano Rivera deserves to be part of that conversation, too. So it's a little proof of thought there, but uh, have an interesting, uh, interesting debate for maybe another time. Well,
1: to say the least, well, we need to consider that, you know, I agree with you on Ruth, Gehrig, DiMaggio. I think they just have to go up there and then... If you're left with one more bust, so to speak, uh, one more face to go on there, you're looking at Mickey Mantle, Derek Jeter, and Mariano Rivera, among a host of other players. So that is really, really, really a tough one. Uh, I think they would need to build a, a second mountain for that, one, to say the
8: least. <laughs> I think they would. mountain, oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, Barry. On that note, uh, I think we'll take our break, and uh, we have more sad news that occurred this week. Uh, much sadder news, to say the least. Obviously, Junior Seau. I'm very interested in getting your thoughts on that. But we'll do that on the other side of this break. The
3: opening kickoff is a beauty. fantasy sports is where the action really is over 40 million people play fantasy sports but rarely do they get to quiz the experts fantasy insights is the name and the game
0: Back to the show.
1: Voice America. Welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports. And back on the line with us is Barry Rubenstein of the New York Post. And, Barry, uh, unfortunately we also have additional sad news to discuss, which is, of course, the, what has been ruled now a suicide uh, of Junior Seau this week in San Diego. Shocking, he played up here with the Patriots, so we got to know him up here in Boston a little bit, uh, but he'll always be a charger, no question about that. And, uh, you you know, still find it hard to believe. Uh, As I referenced at the beginning of the show, the family announced, I believe this morning, that his brain will be donated to the Boston University School of Medicine that studies brain injuries, uh, in former football players and other athletes. And, uh, Chris Nowinski heads up that unit. And, uh, so I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on the shocking death of, uh, Junior Seau.
8: Well, yeah, I mean, shock, shocking, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, here's a guy who was, you know, 43 years old, all pro, great, great player for many years in the NFL. But, you know, like a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys going to retirement, uh, they have a difficult time, uh, you know, dealing with uh, with with life all uh, well, the skills You know, I you know I, I get, you know, we, we, we don't quite know, you know, the circumstances that led to this. We may never know, um, you know, what, what 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 was going on in his personal life or finances or what have you. Um, you know, I I think it's a big problem for you know for a lot of the the veterans. You know, a lot of these guys, uh, you know, they go into their they're, uh, post-playing days and, you know, they, they don't quite, it's, it's very hard for them to kind of react to, to life as a, quote, normal person. Uh, not as a, not as a star, not as a football player, not as an athlete, you know, um, you know, they can't, uh, physically do the things that they always did or, you know, mentally it's a lot different, um, so it's a completely different mindset and, you know, and, uh, maybe these guys are just, you know, prone, prone to depression after, after, you know, Kind of, you're losing their livelihood, having it, you know, taken away, you know, because of, of health or because of injury, um, and you know, those, I think there's a lot to be said with with, this, with the with the concussion and depression uh, studies that that, uh, that they will be doing. Uh, same thing they did with uh, Dave Jewerson after he passed. So, you know, I, I think you know a lot of these questions, you know, you we may find that we may not either, um, but yeah, I, I, I think. It's part of a bigger issue uh, with, with with NFL veterans. I heard an amazing statistic this morning uh, on the radio before coming on, and it's just you know, you know when you, when you get to a certain point in your life, um, you know, there are very few things that kind of blow you away. And most of the things, when when especially coming from a newspaper background, you we tend to be a little little cynical. But right. Uh, this but this actually blew me away when I heard this. Ninety percent, nine zero percent. Of all NFL players who made more than $15 million in their career, according to a study, are now bankrupt. Think about that for a second. I mean, that just, that's just a mind-boggling number to me. And that just tells me that, you know, I, 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 think, I think the NFL needs to do a better job when it comes to counseling these players. You know, um, they spend a lot of time and effort, you know, counseling them on how to deal with the media, on how to, you know, conduct themselves. You know, on the field, you know, protecting the shield and all that stuff. But I, I think, in light of you know the situations that we that we've seen, you know, first with Dave and now, uh, uh, you know, sadly with Junior Seau, and you know, when you factor in all the other veterans that are having having a hard time just dealing with life after football, I, I think I think there's going to be a groundswell of, of of support for the league putting together some sort of post player program. I mean. They may have these already, you know, you don't, you don't, we don't, don't hear too much about this, but, you know, I, I, I think there needs to be more, more said about it, more done about it, and more ways to help these guys that are going through issues, that are going through things in their personal life, that are, are going through the transition of their post-football career. Um, I just think some people, there, there, I think it's, it's, you know, people crying for help, and I really, I really think that the, the league needs to really look long and hard at ways to, you know, protect the, the, protect their, protect the lives of these players after they leave the game. I don't think enough, enough time, enough attention is spent on that. I mean, certainly plenty while they're playing. But, you know, I, you know, these guys, you know, left parts of themselves all over uh, NFL fields for their entire careers. And, you know, I, I think it, I, I, I think they deserve to have people kind of helping them and looking after them and making sure that they're, that, that they're going on to live you know, as normal as possible once your playing days are over. I, I, I think we're going to have to see that. And you know, uh, you know, I know you have a lot of NFL ties. You know, maybe you can offer a little, little insight into this too, but I, I do think more needs to be done for the retired players moving forward.
1: Well, you raise a very interesting point because uh, I am quite familiar with what is called the NFL Player Engagement Program, now headed by former All-Pro Troy Vincent. Formerly headed by Hall of Famer Mike Haynes. And uh, it's it's the first and the best of its kind in any pro league. Uh, it's, you know, everything from, you know, they've literally have, you know, a well known one of the foundational programs is what's called Broadcast Boot Camp, where they teach uh, players how to become broadcasters, many, many success stories there. Tim Hasselbeck being like a, a classic candidate, Damian Woody as well of players who, you know, attended broadcast boot camp. I actually went there for a day a few years ago. It's done at NFL Films outside Philadelphia. And they also do, uh, they offer these programs with colleges, uh, Harvard Business School, Wharton uh, Business School, we, part of University of Pennsylvania, of course. Kellogg Business School out of Northwestern, Stanford Business School, uh, again, I actually sat in on a class at Wharton, I talked with members of the Harvard faculty who teach the NFL players, I mean, this is just, you know, it's called, it's an entrepreneurial business program, uh, it's just simply, you know, at the highest level of, you know, the highest, you know, most prestigious institutions in the United States. They offer numerous courses for you know rookies and orientations, what have you, uh, on you know life in the NFL, basically, and you know all the various uh, ups and downs that are connected with being an NFL player and associating yourself and getting your finances in order, associating yourself with the right people, that type of thing. Troy Vincent has taken this program recently to the next level, where they've, uh, you know, started a <clears throat> music boot camp for current former players interested in getting into the music industry. A film motion picture boot camp out in Los Angeles for players interested in getting into the movie industry. Uh, again, and much much more. You know, I, I don't have enough time to get sure. into it all. Trust me. Um, and it's just, you know, something that is, you know, at the highest level, so impressive. I've met and talked with, you know, people who've gone through the program. You know, Mike Haynes when he was there administering the program, and you know, they they really have invested. Tremendous amount in these programs, and I'm sure they'll continue to invest more. And uh, yeah, so frankly, from where I'm sitting, you know, when I see things like Junior Seau, I'm all the more baffled by it because you know there are many, many uh, opportunities offered for players to you know think about and actually act on what they're going to do with their life after football, which you know by all accounts with junior Seau, it is uh you know he was a, a man who played 20 years most importantly and clearly was not doing well apparently by all accounts with you know his life after football which just ended in 2009 uh and unfortunately Barry with that uh we have to bring the show to a to a conclusion but I'm glad you raised that point about uh you know, NFL and what they do for current and former players. Uh, they, they do a lot. So we'll see what develops there. Uh, I want to thank you for your time, Barry. As always, you were great.
8: Thanks, John. Good thanks for having me as always.
1: You are more than welcome. And just in closing, my pick of the weekend for appointment viewing is the Kentucky Derby. Tomorrow afternoon, evening on television and something i always enjoy and i want to thank you all for listening and we'll do it again next week at 1 p.m eastern
0: time on all around sports thanks again for tuning in to all around sports with your host john inglesby be sure to tune in again next friday at 10 a.m pacific time 1 p.m eastern time on the voice america sports channel have a terrific weekend and we'll talk sports again next week
4: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel.